Hello and welcome to the On The Pitch podcast with me, Ash, and my co-host, Dave. Uh, this week, we have a special guest, uh, Alex, who's one of our friends. And I suppose that with no football, we should just dive straight into the uh, issues surrounding coronavirus and what it's meant for the world of football. So, Alex, as our special guest, um, you want to talk about John Obi Mikel and the situation at Trabzonspor? Yes. Uh, unfortunately, Turkey is the only league that's still competing right now because they don't agree with UEFA's uh, suggestion as to cancel play. So Mikel wanted to take care of himself and his family had decided to leave the club and return back to England where his wife and children are. And I just want to say as a former Chelsea player for us, club legend, hats off to him. Can't respect him even more for that. Dave, how do you feel on the situation? I would have done the same shit. There is no reason in the midst of a pandemic to be doing something so insignificant as playing your usual fixtures in a time where everybody else on the bloody continent and in the world, for that matter, has taken precautions to try to contain what's going on. No idea what's going on in Turkey, but he's in every... McKelson has every right to do what he's done and just tell them to basically fuck off. There's always one league, isn't there? I think they're better than everyone else and think they can just do what they want, not realizing they could be causing more problems in the long run. And they, their claim is that it was done behind closed doors, but that still doesn't make that right either. I mean, it's still 22 humans on a pitch engaging in sport. Exactly. And whoever else is there recording these, recording these matches as they're, they're going on. So it's, it, makes, uh, it makes no sense. And I'm glad he, he's gone. I'm glad he left and he did what he had to do. Because at the end of the day, your health is greater than football. Exactly. Yeah. And the thing is, I mean, it's only 22 people. But one of those people, they interact with their family or their family sees a friend. It can spread like that. You know, even if they don't have it themselves, they could come into contact with someone who does. Which just, as we said a minute ago, makes it all worse. If you look at this and on a broader spectrum, the Premier League, in, in its stubbornness, didn't even do anything until Arteta tested positive for coronavirus and then shit went tits up and the league finally decided to do the right thing. Don't understand how Turkey, it took them this long to figure that out. It took a player leaving the club for them to figure this out. I don't know what world they're living well, in, but I don't think it's this one. Well, as far as I know, they haven't had any reported cases with any players or managers like all the other leagues have. So that's probably why they haven't done anything yet. The thing is, they're increasing the chances of that happening by playing the matches. Because, you know, okay, one match is 22 players on the pitch and you've got all the subs, the coaching staff, the managers, the media. Then you think there's 10 games in a weekend league. You times all that by 10. That's a lot of people. I mean, let's take a look at this. Even amateur leagues, right? So I play in two amateur leagues. Even those are canceled. And we don't get paid shit. We pay to play. And even those, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, have been canceled. So I, what, what is not, like, you can't be that blind or naive as to what's going on. There's no, there's no cases in, in the United States. There's no cases in West Virginia. And even them, them people not doing anything right now like the rest of us. <laughs> except doing the right thing. It's, common sense is hard to find, apparently. Especially in this day and age. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's Mikel at the end of the day did the right thing. He did what was right for him and what was right for his family. That's just yeah, I fully, fully support him. But um, moving on to some more positive news this week, we've actually all three of us have selected our team of the season so far for the English Premier League, and we're going to discuss our choices and why we chose certain players. 
So, uh, Alex, since you're the guest, do you want to start with the goalkeeper you chose oh, for this team? I'm so honoured. I chose <laughs> Dean Henderson, which is an obvious choice, I think, for most people, just because the guy's coming on loan from United to Sheffield and just put in a lights-out performance day in and day out. He's probably the main reason that Sheffield are where they're at in the table and why they're, everyone's talking about them for Europe next season if it actually happens. He's just been phenomenal. He's easily should be England's number one choice over Pickford right now, who's not having a great season at all. Uh, Dave? I went the same. I went Dean Henderson. He's been massive for Sheffield, amongst other things that they got going on. But he's been he's been solid, and he's been basically the linchpin of that defense, too, as he helps out getting people positioned. He seems to know the the right time and the right place to be at, and he has made some key and crucial saves and has actually helped them gain the points and help them get to where they're at. I think he's brilliant, and he should probably... And if you're listening to this podcast, Dean Henderson, do not go back to Manchester United. Don't do it. Uh, I've also gone with Dean Henderson, so it's a full house to Dean Henderson there. Um, I just think that for his age and the way he's played, you know, first season in the Premier League, and he's been fantastic. He really has, been, like, like you both said, he's been that key man in goal. He's pulled off some brilliant saves. But I think at 22, I think he's 22. He's a real leader back there, and the defence has confidence in him, and he should be England's number one by a country mile at this stage because to be sitting sixth, seventh in the Premier League for a newly promoted side, which... Let's be honest, everyone had them to go down at the start of the season, including me. But he has been fantastic. And if he, if he continues the same next season, he'll be England's number one for the Euros. He needs to be England's number one for the Euros. I mean, has anybody looked at and seen the disaster that is Jordan Pickford? He's like the poster boy for capitulation, people. <laughs> <laughs> I'd pick Ben Foster over Jordan Pickford. I'll get in fucking goal before Jordan Pickford. <laughs> <laughs> You're five foot four, right? <laughs> you get about <laughs> pure, massive awesomeness. As long as you can jump, you'll be all right. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. You know, I'm not that bad at winning headers in the air. <laughs> I do play uh, right back, people. Uh, since you mentioned right back, let's move on to that position. Uh, Dave, if you want to start this time. Reese James. Do I really need to say more about that? <laughs> the most versatile, it might have been the most versatile player in the Chelsea side. He can attack, he can defend, he's physical, he reads the game well. I mean, what else What else do you need in damn right back? You said it all there. <laughs> Not that much. Alex, who did you pick? Uh, Reese as well, because all the things that Dave just said, I mean, Boy's what not not even twenty years old yet if he is, and he's already being talked as to you know start for England, which I don't see why Southgate shouldn't pick him at all. I mean he's got lots of options at right back, but Reese has has everything that you need. He could move inside and play center. He can play up in the midfield. He's so versatile, like they've said. Reese is an obvious choice. Um, I'm the only one that didn't pick Reese James on the podcast. <laughs> uh, it was I couldn't decide for right back. It was so close. I mean, Alexander Arnold has been good going forward, but he's not so competent defensively. I think Ricardo Pereira deserves a special mention as well because he has been fantastic for Leicester. But I actually went with Wolves right back, Matt Doherty. Because I just uh. think that he's such a 
good right back and he's such a complete wing back as well. I mean, he can get goals, he can defend and he's so good at making assists for the team and he's a real outlet for that team when they're attacking. But when they're back in the five and when they're defending, he's just such a good player. And this is a player that's been there through all four divisions for Wolves. So for him to sustain that level and play at the top level and the season he's had across the Premier League and the Cups in Europe, I just think he had to be in there for me. All right, Mr. Harris. I'm not going to not going to, you know, I'm not going to disagree. I think, who does he play for internationally? Is he an Irish international? Is he an he's Irish Northern international? Ireland. He's Northern, Northern Irish. No, Republic of Irish. So that makes him, oh. if he's a Republic, yeah, then he's Irish. Republic yeah. of Ireland's Irish. Because the Northern Irishmen, I believe, are part of the UK, aren't they? Yeah. There is a lesson on internationals for all of you out there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Alex, moving on to centre-back, who have you picked? That's one of them. Should we start with one first? I think he'd be an obvious choice for most people across the world. Virgil Van Dyke, just mm. a stalwart back there. Even though he plays for Liverpool, I'm not going to hold that against him. He's a top quality player. I don't think he's as good as everyone thinks he is, but he's still probably one of the best center backs I've seen in the last five years or so. Just the way he commands the, the field, commands the box when he's in there. His speed, his speed is lacking, but what he makes up for his height and his strength and his tactical. Awareness to second to none right now. That's a good choice. I took Van Dyke too, as much as that hurts my little Chelsea loving soul. I mean, you can't argue. If you look at Liverpool's defense before he arrived at the club, I, I would I would tell you they didn't have a defense before Van Dyke got there. He's able to anchor that defense. He knows where to be. People barely ever dribble by him. And the great thing is, is he gives you that towering physical presence in the box off set pieces, which it also helps aside when you have a defender of that, that type that's, that can get in the box, can get you goals on set pieces, and also will get his ass back down the pitch to defend. Very rarely does he ever get dribbled on or scored on, for that matter. So Van Dyke for me, is one of the obvious choices here. Uh, so again, it's the full house of Van Dyke because I also picked him. Uh, following on from what you, you guys just said... Um... I think what makes him so special is he does, he inspires confidence in players around him, like like John Terry to do for Chelsea. But when they look at Van Dyke, you just think you're going to win because of how, how good he is. And But what else that makes him a good defender is he's got the passing ability as well. He's one of the best passers of a centre-back in the Premier League. But his nature, his stature, you know, he's big and strong. You're not going to get by him without really going for it and trying. And I do agree that I think that the hype train is a bit, too much for him because he hasn't actually all he's won at Liverpool is the Champions League and to be compared to players like Ferdinand Vidic John Terry players of those calibre I think he has to do a bit more in the Premier League first because those players were so good for 10 plus years and he's only been at Liverpool for what two or three maybe maybe two and I just oh, think two. that just think that he needs to have that consistency of winning titles to really be up there as the best Premier League centre-back ever That that's a good point that's a good point. But, I mean, he's off to a good start because they did win the Champions League last year. And they're probably, God help us all, because I never thought I'd see it in my 34 years of being here. They're going to win the Premier League title. So he is on his way. But you would bring up a good point. Is there, there has to be a consistency when this conversation is had. After all, that's how we measure great players, right? It's the full body of work, which he doesn't quite have yet. But he's well on his way. Uh... I'll start with my other centre-back choice, which I think is going to be popular among quite a lot of people, which is Kaglar Soyuncu, 
who, you know, when Leicester lost Maguire, everyone was worrying about, oh, who are they going to sign? What are they going to do? And Soyuncu's filled that role perfectly. He's not the quickest centre-back, but he has that perfect defensive awareness and he knows exactly where he's supposed to be. And his partnership with Johnny Evans, who, you know, maybe not the best centre-back in the world, but they've got a solid partnership there. And I think that Soyuncu coming in is the reason they didn't spend on another centre-back because they didn't need to. They had him right there. And I think he's played better than Maguire this season. So not really a loss for Leicester, but brilliant centre-back. He's only going to get better as the season progresses. Well, if it progresses. <laughs> if, if it progresses. Uh, I went with Tyron Mings. First of all, I'm fascinated by his story because he went from nobody to, a, I believe he was a mortgage broker and he was a bartender, I think, at one point before he decided he was going to pursue football, was playing as an amateur, made his way up, and got to where he is now. I was just fascinated by the story. And he has played well, he has played well for Aston Villa. He's featured in 23 matches. He's had two goals. He's had one assist. But he's another physical presence in the middle of that defense where you know that it's going to take an attacker a lot of work to try to get by him. And he's not too bad going forward and distributing the ball either. I mean, he is a little older, but for, for my money, I like what Tyron Mings has done at Aston Villa. Uh, so quick play left. Good guy, Sorry, uh, do you think that he deserves a better team than Villa? With the, he doesn't have the quality around him to really showcase what a commanding centre-back he could be with better players. If he's a better player, he'd be... <laughs> He'd be considered he'd be considered by more and by many if he was surrounded by better players. I mean Villa, the only other great player Villa has is who? Grealish? I'd say John McGinn as well, but he spent the last half of the season yeah. injured. Yeah, I see that's why I wouldn't put McGinn in that conversation. I mean, you gotta have the availability. But I mean if if he is fit, give or take that's that's two players that he has around him. If he's in a better side, he'd be in he'd be better off than where he's at now but for where he's at playing for who he's playing and given the circumstances that Villa are in I still think he's a solid center back and just what I was going to touch on he did play left back for Bournemouth way back when before he went off to Villa but his size commanded him to go into the center which I think has changed his career dramatically Alex brings up a good point there though versatility is never a bad thing when a manager knows that you can play multiple positions on the pitch, that only benefits you more as a player. That's, that's a really good point, Alex. Alex, who was your other choice of centre-back? Uh, mine's going to surprise a few people. It's uh, Fabian Scher from Newcastle. Um, he's not, he's not well-known yet in the Premier League. He's only been with Newcastle. I think he's coming up on two years. But he played, uh, played in Germany. I think it was at Hoffenheim. Uh, he just has a killer free kick, one of the best penalty takers of a centre-back I've ever seen. And aside from Alan St. Maximan, he's Newcastle's best player. I mean, just because he like he commands the box when he's in there. I'm not exactly sure who his partner is. I think it's if it's Jamal Lascelles doesn't hurt, it's him. But he's just got a great partnership going in there. He's big, tall, strong, fast. Just Gil's been more growing up to do because the Premier League's going to do that for him because he's not terribly old, but he's not young either. Give him another season or two, he could be a top quality centre back. Gets a lot of goals as well, doesn't he? A lot of goals. Yes. Headers, free kicks, penalty. I think he's their designated penalty kick taker. I think he's that way for uh, Switzerland too. Newcastle are worse when they don't have him in the back. I mean, I know Lasalle is key for them as well as a captain, but 
normally favour a back three of Lejeune, Lascelles and Shaw. And if Shaw's missing, they just look a little bit lacklustre at the back. They look, they look like they don't have a clue. So that's a f- good choice, good choice. So we're moving on to... Where are we at? Left backs. Left back. Do you want to you shed some light on left back, Mr. Musgrave? Um, well, I think I chose the obvious one, is Andrew Robertson. Um, there was not really many standout left backs from the Premier League season this year. I mean, I can't pick any of the Chelsea ones because they've not played enough games. And I mean, as for the Quakers played both sides, centre-back, so I didn't think it'd be fair to pick him. Alonso's only really been a form of late, so I went with Robertson because I just think over the course of the season, he's been the most consistent. And like I said, probably the best left-back in Europe, I'd say, at the moment. Again, I think he has a lot of improving to do, as he's not really been tested, but there are not many better than him at the moment. So I think it's just that, because his assist numbers and his work rate is brilliant. And like I said, I think he's better defensively than Alexander-Arnold. But again, it's hard to say when they're not really being fully tested, but I would... If I had to pick a left-back right now, I'd pick Robertson. That's interesting. Uh, Dave, who did you go with? Ben Chilwell. Of course. Ben (laughs) Chilwell. He's been a part of 23 clean sheets. He's made 150 tackles, and his tackle success rate is 63%. And he's blocked 10 shots. So he defensively, he's got it all. That's what you need, right? And he is not too bad either going forward with the ball. But for my money, because I also enjoy it when defenders actually do their job and defend, a lot of his defensive statistics are very strong. And he's one of the best at where he's at in the Premier League. And he, I know he's had a dip in form the last couple of matches. But I think once he gets back on track, he's, he's going to be solid. I mean, considering that he has a success rate, um, 50-50 duels of, I don't know, he's won 618 duels. That's insane. He cool. is just, he's a presence back there. Yeah. But he's a, uh, I remember in the Southampton game, where I think they won 9-0, I think he picked up four assists in that game and a goal. Ah. I think we could have picked up four assists in that game. <laughs> Alex has got a point. I think all of us have scored. <laughs> Seriously. Sorry, Mike. We know you love <laughs> Mr. Hassan-Hutl, and you have a soft spot for Southampton, but, I mean, that day, oh, anybody, yeah. a bloody cat in the house could have scored. <laughs> uh, my choice was Lucas Digne from Everton. I liked him when he was at PSG. It was kind of hard for him to get into the side with uh, Kurzawa being in the form that he was in back then, but he's really shown at Everton because they needed a left back when they lost Baines just to age. Because Baines was probably their best left back that uh, they'd ever had and with his free kicks and his goal-scoring ability. Go forward, pump, come back in defense, but not talk about him, talking about Dinier. Uh His speed, uh, when, when he's on his game, he's one of the best I've seen play with the left foot. Um, I think if it wasn't for Lucas Hernandez, he'd be the number one choice for France. But the way Hernandez can play inside and outside, they're not going to drop him for Dinier, but Dinier's going to be a solid backup for them. And I think he's going to be Everton's first choice for a very long time. He couldn't get in the Barca squad either, though, could he? Because of Jordi Alba's presence is there as well. Nobody's going to get ahead of Alba. Nobody's going to get ahead of Alba with that team. No, but Alba's I think Alba's playing with the Walker. I don't think Alba's playing with the Walker. Either. No. 
Jordi Alba falls in the same category as Alexander Arnold. Very good going forward, but questionable defensively. But in a Barcelona side that kept the ball for in a Barcelona side that always kept the ball, it didn't matter so much. But these days, it's a little bit less effective. He is. Dinier is a solid choice. He's got a brilliant left foot, like you said, and brilliant at crossing the ball. He's accurate too. He has pinpoint accuracy crossing that ball. It's almost as if he knows where people are going to be before they're even there. Which is, I think, is why they chose him because that's what Baines could do. Whether he was, you know, like slow or fast, he could always pick out the right across. So we chose someone different at left back, which is quite interesting. Uh, moving on to centre mid, Alex, who did you pick as your first central midfielder for the uh, team of the season? Uh, the one's going to be sitting in front of the back line. I picked Chelsea's very own Mateo Kovacic. Uh, I think his season stats speak for themselves. I'm sure Dave has the stats ready to go because I don't. I don't know him. I just know from watching him play and listening to listening to him play. Uh, he's been completely night and day from last season. I think just with the system that he we were playing in, really didn't suit him well. But being playing in an open, expansive game, being able to dictate whenever he wants to go forward with the ball or to make a pass or to stay back. I think he's enjoyed that freedom playing under Frank, who was probably easily the, one of the best center mid, midfielders to ever play the game, not just in England. Uh, I think he's got a great mentor in there. Yeah, this is going to make him even more better. And I'll just use like a double positive there, but that's how much I feel about him. That's how much I feel like his season has been for us and for himself. Yeah, I also went with uh, Mateo Kovacic. I just think that he's been Chelsea's best player by a country mile. I mean, I know Tammy Abraham's got the goals, but the amount of work that Kovacic has gone through in midfield and his ball retention stats are incredible. But not just that, he'll win the ball back and it will get Chelsea going forward. And like you said, he couldn't do that under Sarri because he was so restricted. But under Frank, he has that freedom to move forward, come back, and he's got the energy to keep going the entire game. And I think that for £40 million, which is what Chelsea got him for, Real Madrid have been robbed for that price. I really think they have. Uh, Nobody but... likes Real Madrid. It's okay to rob them. <laughs> well, we sold them a player for 150 million, hasn't played all season, so. Mm, good point. But yeah, Mateo Kovacic for me would be Chelsea's player of the year by a long shot. I would concur with that. Did you can you see the difference, too, since the difference since Frank took over to when he was under uh, Maurizio Sari last year. It's like night and day. It was frustrating to watch last season. You didn't know what he brought to the team or why he was in the team. And under Frank, you're just like, just play him no matter what. I mean, you play him over Kante and Georgina at the moment and have two attacking midfielders because he can do the job by himself. And he's only 26, I believe, so he's still got a long career ahead of him. Yeah, he should be getting he's in that, that sweet spot where uh, players tend to be in their prime. Well, he's had a early start at Inter, and that's what got him recognized by uh, Madrid, so... His career got kicked off really early, so it seems like he's been around forever. He's still so young. But for a central defensive midfielder and his size, he is very good with his feet. I mean, dribbling. I mean, he's one of the best in the Premier League. He is so good with his feet. It's insane how good he is with his feet. He's made grown men look like children. And I think he'll be a good mentor for Billy Gilmore as well, in the way that they both play a similar game. Yes, very much so. That that's that'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. There's a lot of depth in the midfield. So, Dave, moving on to who you picked as your first midfielder. 
So I gotta be different and shit, because that's what I do. <laughs> Wilfred and Dee is who oh, I have is sitting in the middle. Um, first of all, I enjoy watching him. And so Leicester lost, obviously, Angolo Conte, who came to play for a real club. And it's like <laughs> when Ndidi stepped in, they didn't miss a beat, as he pretty much is like an Angolo Conte prototype. He can cover every blade of, gla- every br- blade of grass. Excuse me. He, um, he wins tackles. He reads the game well. He's very strong in the air. He wins a majority of his aerial duels. The dribbling could be a little bit better, but as far as knowing where to be and when to be there, he's great. I think he leads the Premier League, actually, in tackles. And I'm pretty sure he probably leads in interceptions, too. For me, indeed, he's that guy that I want sitting in front of my back four because he covers so much ground and offers so much, and you don't really get players like that anymore. He's got a shot on him as well. Oh, he does. When, when he wants to let one rip, it's pretty. And it's proven Leicester a weaker side without him whenever he's hurt. That is true. Well, Leicester originally went to get Namplies Mendy as Cantor's uh, president, didn't they? It didn't work out for him. And then, indeed, they just stepped in like it was nothing, as in he'd been there for years. And he's young. He's only he's not that old either. I believe he's one of the younger guys. I think he's 23, if I remember right. So he's got... He's got that time also to get better and develop. And he's just, if he's good now, imagine in a couple of years where he's had time to develop and he's, as much as I don't like Brendan Rodgers, he's under a manager though that does develop players well, which was very good for him. Could you see him at a top four club? Well, Leicester technically are a top four club at the moment, but could you see him at a European powerhouse in yep. a few years' time? Yeah, I give it about don't hang on to him, yeah. yeah. Two years' time. They'll make money off him if they do sell him. And they have been known to sell their best players, as in Mares Kante. So. Well, at the end of the day, football is a business, everybody. Mm-hmm. And clubs like Leicester need that sort of money to reinvest. You know, they can't... Obviously, Chelsea held on to Hazard for seven years because of the state of the club and the money they were getting elsewhere. Leicester might not necessarily have that, so they might have to sell it and reinvest. You know, Leicester have done well over the years with that. They've made money off, like you said, they've made money off Conte. They've made money off Mares. As long as they stick to the mold that they're in now and keep that going, they, they should be fine. They've got good young talent as well, like uh, Harvey Barnes, for example. He's been brilliant this season. He's so it also helps that, that, that Rodgers is me. in charge there. Harvey uh, Alex, Barnes is so I was going to say, Harvey Barnes is so brilliant that he's irritating. I hate watching him play because he's so good. <laughs> Do you he's got a shot of the England squad if he carries on the way he's going? He does because they're not very deep at wingers right now. They're not deep at attacking Rashford. at all. Well, Rashford's more likely going to play striker, I would think, if, uh, he does, if he comes back before Kane. Well, with the Euros uh, being pushed back till next that's year. That's true. I forget. My bad. <laughs> I think with England, Rashford's always going to be a winger and the strikers are going to be Kane and Abraham. <sighs> Dear Gareth Southgate, <laughs> change your bloody formation. If you can play Rashford in a 4-2-3-1 behind Kane, that wouldn't be a bad idea either. Just saying, Gareth, call me. <laughs> you're going to get some prank calls in the morning. I will change. <laughs> the record, just for the record, so everybody knows I do have the first half of an FA level one license, just putting that out there. I'm international. Look Could at England you. play that formation? Because they don't have any real out and out world class central defensive midfielders. They don't have that's the weakest part of the England team. 
well, if you really want, you really want to go there. Their whole week, their midfield as a whole is a massive week. problem. And I say that as an England supporter, as one of the biggest England supporters you'll meet, that midfield in its entirety is an issue. Oh, I stack it. Go ahead, Ash. So you go first. I would say they're stacked in attacking midfielders with uh, Barkley, Alley, now Mason, and Madsen. I mean, they're, they're stacked in attacking midfielders. They have no holding midfielders right now. That, that's the problem, though, because you can have all those attacking midfielders where if there's nobody holding or those midfielders aren't producing because they're not being utilized in positions where they would produce, then you still have a midfield problem. I think the only one England have who they rely on, I don't trust Jordan Henderson in that role. Eric Dyer is useless, <laughs> lives up to his name. But Amen. Uh, what's his name? Declan Rice, I think, is the only one that could play that role at the moment. And I, th- and I think going forward, it's going to have to be because him and Mason already have that boyhood partnership. It's going to work out for them in the long run. Exactly. Uh, Loftus-Cheek, I'd say, is more of a box-to-box midfielder, more than one or the other. But if you're going to play the 4-2, you need the two holding midfielders to lock, stop, lock things down. And maybe Reese James could play that role. Maybe. You, you could get away with it in a 4-2-3-1. It is possible to get away with it, with more attacking midfielders, but then it becomes the the conundrum of who's going to push forward and who's going to push back. And you're going to have to put a decent defender. There's ways to manipulate things as far as that goes. But just damn it. Go get two holding midfielders, England. Go win me a damn World Cup in the Euros before I before I leave the surf. That's, that's all I'm asking. The <laughs> thing is, with this group of England players now, you think it's the second version of the golden generation. Like when you had your Rooney, your Beckham, Gerrard, Ferdinand, Terry, Lampard, Cole, Neville. That team uh, should have won something for the amount of talent. But also, to your point, that was when everybody else was at their top game, too. It was That's a whole true. different thing back then, too, because those guys in that golden generation did not trust each other worth a shit because they were competitors. No. To where this generation, everybody's all prudent. With each other, everybody loves everybody. We're swapping shirts after matches. I mean, that last thing with Generation wanted to basically beat each other's brains out and <laughs> costed England a lot of matches that they should have won. Um, besides getting sidetracked, let's move back onto the team of the season. <laughs> <laughs> um, who did you pick as yours? Obviously, we're both all three of us have chosen a four-three-three formation. So, who have you chosen as your central midfielder or Cam, depending on how you play them, Alex? Uh, my other central is uh, Ruben Neves from uh, Wolves, who's Great been choice. a godsend for them for the last two seasons, ever since they got him from Porto. Uh, just, he was originally listed as a center defensive mid, but they saw his attacking prowess and decided to move him a little bit further forward. And it's been uh, a brilliant choice because uh, uh, we've all seen his rockets from 50, 60 yards out and on pinpoint accuracy when he shoots the ball. And when he's not goal forward, he's a solid defender. You can't ask for much more in a holding midfielder, and he's young, 24, 25. We're going to get better from here. I remember that goal he scored against Derby where he uh, flicked it up, chested it, and then hit it as top corner. And I was just, that goal should have won the Puskas Award. It should have, but, you know, they only give that award to Happens. people that they're fond of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ruben Neves, I think he's going to be... Mm-hmm brilliant for Portugal going forward as well because 
He's got Jal Moutinho as well, who's a similar type of player, maybe not as defensive, but he's got Jal Moutinho who he can look up to as a mentor. I mean, they play together in the midfield most weeks, so to have that ahead of him, it's a good thing, I feel. But he's a brilliant midfielder as a whole. It's a great thing for him. Uh, Dave, uh, who have you gone with? Uh, I went with Yuri Thielemans, the Belgian international, the young guy. Solid choice. Well, he's versatile. I like, if, if you couldn't tell by now, I really like versatile guys. <laughs> so he can play pretty much anywhere in the midfield. I think he's better probably defending, but he does offer, he offers the work rate. He offers goals when it's needed. And he defends real well. He's, he's almost guaranteed to be in the starting 11. I think 80, 83% of the time he's in the starting 11 for Leicester. And he plays a majority of the minutes in the matches he features in. He's played 28 games with three goals and five assists. And he's just, he's another versatile midfielder where he can play in the center. If something happens to Ndidi, he can help get the ball forward, set guys up. Yeah, Yuri Tillermans. And he's only 22. He's 22 with plenty of room to get better. Yeah, I also picked Yuri Tillermans. Um, they got him from Monaco. Was it about 20 to 30 million? I think they paid for him. Somewhere thereabouts. Yeah, and at Monaco, at Monaco, it didn't really work for him, but he seems like one of those players that's made for the Premier League. He's quite strong. He's not the quickest, but he makes up for that in his vision with his passing and his ability to break up play. And I just think he's been a key part of Leicester's season, along with indeed, like you said, as why they're doing as well as they are. But I think he's got, like I said, in 10 years' time, we'll be looking back at him as one of the best midfielders of his generation. He's going to be on somebody's team of the decade if you, in 10 years, give or take. Oh, 100%. And I think he'll be a key role for Belgium as well, because a lot of Belgian golden generation now are entering the latter stages of their career, as in your Mertens, Hazard, Lukaku, De Bruyne. Mm-hmm. They're all in their late 20s to early 30s now. And I think Belgium, if they want to win something, it's now, but they have to push through that next generation of talent. And he's part of that right. That's what they were saying for the World Cup two years ago, saying that was the time for them to win because that was when everybody was at their prime. So this this is the last chance for them to win any silverware at all. Yeah, I think so. They they better do it soon because you guys they're aging and doesn't if we know anything when when international guys age with sides, it's usually detrimental and it takes a couple of seasons to get back. We've all seen mm-hmm. what's happened with the with the Dutch, for example. That, Italy how well. they went from a powerhouse to being anonymous at certain points during those years where they were rebuilding. Do you remember during the 2010 World Cup as well of Italy, where it was an Asian squad and they were absolutely what, terrible? What a World Cup. I mean, yeah, even New Zealand beat them. Yeah, who the hell does New Zealand beat? Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, New Zealand. So, Alex, who did you pick as your second midfielder? Oh, you said Ruben Neves. We're on the third. We're on the third. (laughs) My Um, third, he's going to be my attacker. It's Kevin De Bruyne. Uh, Just, I think he's going to be in everyone's team of the season, no matter what, just because of his command of that midfield, his ability to make, create, and score goals. Uh, He's not as versatile as he used to be, but that's okay. They don't need him to be anywhere else but in the middle of that park. Um, yeah, just, I've never seen somebody pass the way he does. It's, it's, it's a shame that we that Chelsea lost him when we did, but I think going to Germany, 
and coming and playing under Pep has been uh, a real career changer for him. It's only going to go up from here. That's a good choice. Who'd you go with, Ash? I also went with Kevin De Bruyne. I think he's the best player in the Premier League. Um, His assist record is just phenomenal. And I'm still heartbroken Chelsea sold him because if we still had him today, I think we'd have a few more league titles than what we already have and maybe another Champions League because he's that good. And like Alex said, under Pep, he's just got better and better. And I don't think there's a midfielder in the world that is better than him right now. Yeah, he's really good. I blame Jose. That's all I'm going to say on that. But I blame well, Jose, Jose. always Jose always said that it was the board that sold him, not him. So there's a controversy there. Jose said it had nothing to do with him. Right. So about that, Jose. You weren't going to use him anyway because we all know he doesn't like young players. And him saying that the board, it was the board that did it, not him, is like saying that the cat burnt the food I was cooking and not me. Come on now. <laughs> I don't buy that. My wife is going to yell at me later for taking shots at Jose, but she'll be all right. What upset me about Jose was he sold Juan Mata and Kevin De Bruyne to make way for Oscar, who was the worst <laughs> of the three. And I loved Juan Mata. He was my favorite player at Chelsea. Oh, just, he was class. Brilliant. Just the weight. He was Frank Lampard. He was similar to Frank Lampard. He could get goals, he could get assists, but he had so much flair. And the way he played with Hazard was just beautiful to watch. And, you know, when we sold him to Man United, I was heartbroken because I knew Oscar was not going to fill his boots. He never did. No, he was far too inconsistent. Whereas Mata, Mata would score or assist almost every game. And he was instrumental in uh, our run to the Champions League final and the FA Cup that season. I had... Joe Jao Matinho there. That's Wolves. an interesting choice. It is. Um so defensively he's solid. He's got a he's got 41 interceptions. He's recovered 200 times. He's won 124 aerial duels and he's really really good how he can move within Nuno's system and he can link up play very well, which I don't think he gets enough credit for because he is involved in linking up that play. And he's also two-footed, which is rare. He's good on either foot. So he's just a very interesting choice in the sense that a lot of people don't think of him, but he does a lot more for Wolves than the stats show. If, if you've watched Wolves and know anything about Nuno, he's very intricate in that, in that system and what he does, and he's great. He's, an awesome, he's just he's awesome. I've always rated him. I mean, back when he played in Portugal, even when he played for Monaco, and his career looked like it was coming to an end, but moving to the Premier League, has revamped his career and gave him a few more years in the tank. I mean, for his age as well, the level he's still playing at in the Premier League, not many players can play at that age in the Premier League, but he's proving it to be a brilliant player for Wolves, and I still think he's got a few seasons in him. He does. He looks sneaky fit. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, that man can run, and that's and that's a big thing in Nuno's system because playing in a system like that, wingbacks, you have one job in life: get up and down the pitch. There is no trying to hide, if you will, for lack of better terms. It's you have to go for ninety minutes, and he, for where he's at, he is sneaky fit. Reminds me of Zlatan when he joined Man United. Everyone said he was finished. I think he scored twenty-eight goals that season. So. <laughs> It's proof that age, honestly, is just a number. It's really about your how you take care of yourself. We That's see what it more bugs and me. More. That's what bugs me about Chelsea's over thirties policy. I think it's a bit ridiculous at this point. I mean, Willian, especially with Willian, 
I mean, Willian's been fantastic this season. I really think he has. And I think he deserves at least a two-year contract for, because in the absence of Hazard, okay, he's not maybe got as many goals, but the effort he puts in and he tries. I mean, he's pisses, he pisses us off at times because he's inconsistent and you think he should pass when he tries to go on a solo run and score from 30 yards. But there are games, especially against Tottenham. Yeah, especially against Tottenham where he ran the show. But I remember that season where we finished 10th. He was the only one who you can say gave everything that season. Let's move on to the front three. Ash, who, is, who do you have starting with that front three? If we're going to start with a right wing, I'm going to back out and change my mind on this. Oh. I'm just looking at it and thinking, no, I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I initially had Bernardo Silva, but I'm actually going to change to a Damatregory. Oh, hello. Okay. That's a good choice. <laughs> um, I think Bernardo Silva just really thinking back. He started the season well, but he's tailed off for quite a while now. So, and Morris has taken his place. So I'm going to go over Damatrara because I think this season he's just come alive and he's shown what he's all about. And, you know, there was question marks over him last season, whether he could do it at the top level because of his inconsistency. I mean, he had pace, but he didn't have an end product and he didn't know whether he should cross or shoot. But this season he has improved that and he's become a vital part of the Wolves' attack along with Jimenez and Jota. So, Traore's got to be in for me, just because for someone that quick and that strong at the same time, it's just, you don't see it very often. No, and I just is. think that, Brilliant. you know, one day, if he continues, then a top top club will look at him. Because he was, he did come from Barca's academy, so... There's talent there. Yeah. yeah, but the impact he's had for, I mean, the games against Man City, he was fantastic, wasn't he? Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. He was bullying people. But when you when you're that when you're that tall and that strong, it's hardly surprising. It hardly is, but it's so when you look at him, because I picked them too. So when you look at a player like Adama Traori, it's he doesn't look like a footballer. I mean, I'll use the American analogy here. It looks like an American guys. footballer. Yeah, he looks like a he looks like a fucking running back, dude. It looks like I'm just gonna turn around and hand this ball to him and just let him plow through linebackers and stuff and run them all over it is crazy how he is so agile he understands how to use his, utilize his strength and he's got a lot more pace than people think he does and he will give defenses where, no matter if it's a back three or back four he will give them fits all day all day I remember Jurgen Klopp said he was the toughest opponent they faced all season, didn't he, after the Liverpool game? Well, they, they lost, but Traore gave them a real run for their money that day. He was fantastic. It, he, he also, I don't think he gets enough credit for understanding the game because if you, if you watch closely his movement, it's, he's not always going to be out wide. He'll, sometimes he'll drift in or he'll get the ball and try to, to come in with the ball at his feet. And it's great because then that opens up opportunities for those wingbacks that are either going to overlap or make the forward runs. People don't give him, I think, enough credit for his overall game because we get so... That's a big dude that can play football. There's so much more to him. And I think a lot of his success, too, is, is a credit, again, to, to Nuno, who understood how to work with this player and then understood how to get the best out of him. And I don't think he necessarily had that at other places in his career. Uh, Alex, who did you pick for the right-wing spot? 
keeping with the uh, wolves trend here, uh, pick with Diogo uh, Jota. Uh, just because I know he's traditionally not their right winger, but you'll find out why I put him in when I give you my left wing choice. But uh, he's just come from uh, Atletico Madrid and proven that he's the player that everyone thought he was when he was at Porto. Uh, he's just lights out fast, can score goals, can play striker when he manages down. Sometimes they use him in a, in a, in a dual striker formation. He's just, and he, he doesn't put up the numbers like Jimenez does, but he. He gets the goals, he gets the assists. He's just not always in the headlines, but that's okay. He doesn't need to be. Menace can be in the headlines. Yeah, Yota's a quality player. I really I really like Yota. He's fun to watch. He's got a cannon for he's got a cannon too. Wolves. Wolves do their business so well. I mean, they've got players like Yota and Neves from good clubs, and they've got them for a very good price as well. Which is surprising for a championship club because normally they do a, a Villa and a Fulham and blow a hundred million on him, him, and everyone else, and then end up going down looking like idiots. But Wolves have done it the right way. They've spent wisely and they've brought in real talent instead of chucking millions, hundreds of millions at it. It's all about how a club is ran, and Wolves do business very well, and it's, that's evident by where they're at. And they're probably one of the favorites, too, to win the Europa League if that ever happens again. They, they're just so... They're well-ran. Just the way the board runs things, the way the Nuno man, manages the players, and they have... They're all on the same sheet of music, and that goes a long way in sports, regardless of what you're playing. It, it's nice to see what's happening with Wolves, because they are, they are a storied, and they are a big club. And if anybody wants to argue that, argue that with me, go ahead and jump on this podcast, because I can argue for hours if you like. <laughs> and it helps that the club is two thirds Portuguese or in the Portuguese league. So, hey, that, you know that's yeah, true. Be doing that. they're, they're like the Portuguese national team. Moonlighting yeah. is wolves in the Premier League. They just need Ronaldo; they'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, but Ronaldo without the man bun. Though. Again, Ronaldo, oh, please cut yeah. the man bun. No man bun. You're killing me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. All right, is it so as bad as with, that? Uh, we're going to go with the left side then. I went with Sagio Mane because he's better than Mo Salah. There you have it. Whoever doesn't like that again, you can you can come see me. Um, Sadio, for one, let me just say this. When, when Liverpool, may the Lord forgive me saying this, when Liverpool are able to win big games, it is not because of Salah, it's Mane. And Mane does it more than just by scoring. Because his movement is fantastic. He's got 14 goals and 7 assists. Which tells me he knows he can put the ball in the back of the net. But with his movement, he's able to create link-up play with other players in the box. And he's a very unselfish player. And there have been matches this season where Liverpool have needed a goal. And Salah couldn't hit the damn thing if we basically had the goalie vacate the area. And it is Mane who has repeatedly come up big for Liverpool in times that they've needed to win. And he's probably going to be one of the biggest reasons they're going to win this title. God help us all. But Sadio Mane, for my money, he's, he's brilliant. It is, he does everything you would, everything except defend, of course. But everything that you need 
somebody in his position to do. He does, and he doesn't talk much. His plane does all the talking. And again, he's another one that's good on both feet. As eight goals with his right foot, eight goals with his left foot. So he, either way, he's going to be a nightmare for people to defend. Yeah, uh, I also went with Mane as well. I said Kevin De Bruyne was the best player in the Premier League. Mane is a close second. Mm-hmm. And like you said, he is Liverpool's main man, I feel, because I think Salah gets too much plaudit for scoring simple goals that he hasn't made. I mean, don't get me wrong, Salah has scored some brilliant goals in his time at Liverpool, but I think that Mane and Firmino are both better than he is at what they do. And I think if you take Salah out of that team and replace him with someone else and keep Firmino and Mane, then they'll still be okay. But mm-hmm. Salah and Mane is just world-class, without a doubt. I mean, he's always in the right place, right time to score goals. Like you said, he'll set other players up. He'll look for the positions. But he's good in the air as well. But And he's also got a little bit of strength about him, which in the Premier League these days, you're going to need. Because mm-hmm. defenders won't hold back in this league. And yeah. that's what you need. You need that strength and that character to keep going and give as good as you get. With Sadio Mane, I just feel there's very, there's very few better players at left wing in the world than him right now. But he can also be deployed as a striker. Yeah, there's even versatility there too. But I'm just saying, though, you have a player like that, it's hard to defend. Because if you notice with Salah, if you get him off that left peg, nothing's happening. Like, he's, he's done. If he can't get on, if he's playing, let's say he's playing out wide right and he's trying to cut in to get that ball on his left foot, and he can't get it on his left foot, he's not going to produce. You're not going to get goals from that side. Sagio doesn't have that problem. And there are times where we have seen him come on on different sides for Liverpool and play in those different positions up front. And he's he's going to be a nightmare. And he can play if he needs to. He can help Firmino out and play between the lines to make things happen and create more dynamic movement for the attack going forward. For my money, it's Mane. I agree. That's that's why I went with him as well. I mean, because I'd rather not face him than face anyone else in that team. He's just so deadly. Coming in from the left side, he can be deployed on the right, forward on the front. It's like you guys said, he's versatile. He's big, he's fast, he's strong. Uh, Saints probably wouldn't have been able to hold on to him, so Liverpool wouldn't have been the only team knocking on their door for him when they got him. So uh, hats off to them for getting him when they did. They paid about $27 million for him, wasn't it? Oh, Which is nuts. It was a bargain for what they paid for him, considering what he's given them. He's at least three times that much now. Oh, well, yeah. Agreed. Without a doubt. That's a get, bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, that's all I have to say. Yes. Could you, yes. Could you see him leaving Liverpool for a new challenge? Maybe. How, how old is he? I think he's 27 or 28. He needs to do it now. He's going to do it. Because unless he goes to, he's like, 27. Spain. If he goes to Spain or Italy, I could see him doing it because they seem to extend players' careers, but... I don't see him going to like a club like Bayern or Dortmund and putting up the same kind of numbers the older he gets. Show a club I think could really benefit from him. Barcelona. Ugh. Yes. I hate saying it, but I think that he's a player that Barcelona need right now. They haven't had a left mid since uh, Neymar left. Well, they used to use David Villa out there as well, didn't they? But since him and yeah, Neymar. And Coutinho didn't work out for them because he's useless. Um, I just don't think he's a left winger, and I don't really rate him that much. It's why Bayern don't want him. Um, Griezmann is not a left winger. He's a centre forward, 
And that's been Barca's problem all season. I think that, I know there's always links with trying to get Neymar back, but I don't rate Neymar that highly either. So well, I think I mean, Mar- in gymnastics, though, I would rate <laughs> Neymar because at the rate that he flops and rolls, it's, it's impressive. Olympic gold. <laughs> but I think Mane would solve all Barcelona's problems on that side. I, I can see that. I would agree. I think that, that for Barcelona would work. It's just, though, with Barcelona, then that's kind of an issue in a sense because Messi has a license to roam wherever the hell he wants. Misaggio kind of has a similar license with Liverpool in a sense, so how do you work that out? Because we I all think... know, despite what Messi says, he runs Barcelona. You're not, nobody's going to sit here and tell me different. Messi runs well, Barcelona. Y eso es la verdad. It's the truth. Realistically, how many seasons do you guys think Messi has left in the tank? One at the highest level after this. I think so. Yeah, I think next season's his last one because he's getting a kind of a siesta right now. Everything going on. One more. One more top okay. level. And that's when Mane would make the move if it, ever, if it ever materialized. I just think with Barcelona is they haven't, they don't reinvest well. I mean, Frankie de Jong, does, I mean, Dembele cost them 150, I believe. Coutinho cost them 150. So that's 300 million. Griezmann cost them 113. And none of those players were good enough to play for Barcelona at the time. I mean, Coutinho forced his way out of Liverpool when it... Well, he should have stayed, let's be honest. But I just think that Barca don't invest their money well. And now they've got Suarez and Messi, who are their best players, who are the wrong side of 30. Busquets, wrong side of 30. PK wrong side of 30. Mm-hmm. Jordi Alba. Sergio Roberto and Semedo... Wouldn't it be my right back to choice anywhere? It just feels like they need to buy some younger talent and do it quickly because Frankie de Jong, again, 70 million, he hasn't really lived up to the hype that was surrounding ah, him at Ajax. Ah, that's a problem, though. That is to, that's because of style of play. I will say that yeah. right now. They cannot, they, that's because put, of style of play. If that's him a different style of team. play, that's not even an issue for Frankie de Jong. But Barcelona, Likes to hold the ball pointlessly and move it, and it just doesn't work for Frankie. That's that's a whole that's a whole another podcast I'm tangent I can go off of. So why buy that player? It doesn't suit your system. So nobody else can have him. I think it was the same with Griezmann, wasn't it? Which we've discussed plenty of times on the oh, podcast. Yeah, Griezmann was that. That was nonsense. Like, no, he should have just nonsense. He should have left Atletico for somewhere else that wasn't Barcelona because that. It's a mess. And even with, uh, what's his face, Suarez, with Suarez injured, he's still not doing nothing. It's, it's, it's mind-boggling. And by the way, he's, he's got a World Cup medal. Yeah, Antu Fati, Barcelona's young midfield, uh, young winger, should I say. I think he's a better option for left wing right now because he's proven that he can score goals. He scored two against, he scored against Inter Milan in the Champions League. Yep. So he's proven he can do it against a big team on the big stage. So give him a more of a chance. Give and that's what Barcelona haven't done for two, three, four years now. They haven't integrated the academy players like they used to. And it's costing them. It is. It is cheaper, right? If we're talking about business, just from a business standpoint, it's more economical to rely and cultivate and nurture those players at La Masia and then get them into the first team. Because part, Barcelona, for as long as they've been on earth, have always, always pumped out massive amounts of talent from that academy that have gone on to do great things in life. 
So I, I don't understand why they went and shelled out all that money for Griezmann when you literally could have went across the street and gotten somebody that's already ingratiated in your culture, understands the Barca way of playing, would have been young, you could have developed, and that could have been your solution instead of going to spend money in a, in a way that needed not be spent. You, you can adjust other areas with that, like the back line, because Piqué... He's old. He's getting old, basically. You could have went and got somebody to, to deal with that rather than Griezmann, which doesn't make any sense. It's never going to make sense. He's not a left winger. Uh, you know, on, honestly, I don't know what Antoine Griezmann's purpose on a football pitch is. He was a winger at Sociedad before they moved him inside, and then he went to uh, Letico. But Letico is where he found his real stride. Yeah. yeah, he's not a striker and he's not a cam. He's a link man between both. And yeah, that's what his job was. He, was. he was a defensive forward. Like, he'd get you the ball back and he'd push you forward. And at Atletico Madrid, it worked for their style of play. But Barca wanted to be a creative winger. It's not, his, it's not what he does. And he's not an out-and-out striker either. He's not. They bought a player they did not need. We'll move on now to who we have playing center forward. So, Alex, who did you have? Is your center forward? I'm surprised both of you guys with this one. Probably surprised a lot of people. Uh, chose Danny Ings, Southampton. That is um, elaborate. Just, uh, <laughs> well, he showed he showed glimpses of his brilliance when he first came up with Burnley. I think he made the move to Liverpool way too soon. I think he should have stayed at least another year or two, gotten a bigger move to a bigger club. But I think he's proven that he plays better in a smaller side with less pressure with a better system that allows him to just do whatever the hell he wants. He's fast, he's small, he's proven that he can get the goals from pretty much anywhere on the pitch. Uh, like I said, he's not everyone's obvious pick, but he's on the list of choices for a reason because he's put up goals. He'd easily be voted the comeback player of the year. Uh, I could see him being on a lot of people's teams, but I can understand if they didn't choose him just because he's not a big name. But he should be a big name. He's going to be in the England squad this season. Uh, there's no other no other reason why not to choose him. That is a really good pick. Yeah, I agree. I mean, a striker's job. A striker's job is to get goals, and that's exactly what he's done this season. In some big games for Southampton as well, because at the start of the season they were torrid. They really were, and since you know he's been fit. And under Hassel, under Hassan, who was changed the system, I think Southampton did the right thing by standing by him and giving him time. And I think now they actually look like a decent side. I mean, there are a few players off of being able to get into the top ten, but with Danny Ings up front, they can get the creative service into him. They'll be fine. But like you said, he's had a great season considering, you know, people don't really rate him that highly. But yeah, it's a fa- it's a fair choice to pick him. I think that is a fair choice. Ash, who you got? Uh, I've gone for Jamie Vardy just because he's a goal machine, even at 33. He's just, he's fantastic, isn't he? I mean, brilliant. Seven, I think he's got 17 or, I think he's got 17 Premier League goals this season. It might be 19, but those numbers, you know, it's just incredible for the age he's at. And, you know, he came from non-league football at a very, quite a late age and only got into the Premier League about two, three years ago. but. He's been fantastic for Leicester. He's been reliable. I mean, he broke the goal-scoring record of 11 games in a row. 
few seasons ago. He's won the title already. And this season, he's just been brilliant. And if he hadn't retired from English football, he'd be England's number one. And I think they're going to be begging him to, if the Euros, if there is any England games coming up anytime soon, England are going to be asking him to come out of retirement because Kane and Tammy are injured. And I just think that when you've got a striker who's almost got 20 goals, the season's not even gone yet. I just think that he's the best striker in the Premier League this season. I mean, there's some others you can name, like Aguero, but for me, Vardy, the way he leads the line for Leicester, and the way he links up with Madison and Ayosi Perez, I can't choose anyone else. Yeah. Jamie Vardy also, too, is great for entertainment. He's <laughs> putting that one out there. Because that man gives zero fucks about what opposing supporters think, what the media thinks. It's great to watch him get people all worked up. He's just, he's great for entertainment, too. He just, he's good at what he does. He enjoys what he does. And I thoroughly enjoy watching him. Do you remember the celebration? People. Do you remember the celebration against Palace where he did the eagle thing? After yes. scoring against them. <laughs> Classic Jamie Vardy. He, he is unapologetically himself, which is nice to see because in, in sports, honestly, we don't, we don't see that much. There's not enough characters anymore. No, we no need party, no party. <laughs> but yeah, that is true, Mister. Well, I had to, that I had to pick true. him. I had to pick him. <laughs> I went with one. I'm probably, you know, and don't get excited, everybody in North London. Don't, don't get excited, okay? I went with Alexander Lacazette on the premise. That Alex just made a really funny face as I said that I see you, Alex. <laughs> on the premise, <laughs> premise hear me out now. Now, we all know Arsenal, they're bad at scoring goals, okay? But as Arteta took over and began to improve Arsenal's situation, Lacazette has put big goals in the back of that net for Arsenal. He did it against us. He's done it in Europa League, and he's managed to get them as far as they are in Europa League. Because at the end of the day, the center forward does one thing. They need to put the ball in the back of the net. And good center forwards will do that when their side needs them to do that. And Lacazette has done that consistently for Arsenal. That's why he's my center forward. I need to know when the pressure is on that somebody can deal with it and get our side over the hump. I am now ready to take any B rating that follows my comments. Oh, you're not going to gain rating from me. I've been a fan of Lacazette since his days of Leon. I wanted him at Chelsea. He's small, he's fast, he scores goals, he's strong. It's, he's, he's a good choice. I'm not going to argue with you there. Uh, with regards to being the big player, do you not feel Aubameyang's more crucial to Arsenal than Lacazette? Nope. Because Lacazette, puts... out of the two of them, is the more unselfish player. He's willing yeah. to link up play where Aubameyang is thinking, I'm going to score and take this opportunity regardless if there is one better. If you go back and you watch the Arsenal matches, you can clearly see it. There, uh, Lacazette has it all. And that is bloody, bloody imperative to have a player in your side like that. Because not only can he score, he can link up play. It's a fair point. It's a fair point. I just, personally, I just don't think he's been consistent enough over the course. I'm going to be controversial now and cause a debate, but no surprise I just there. don't. No. <laughs> I just don't think he's been consistent enough over the course of the Premier League season to be up there. Okay. I can see, oh. I, I can see that. Consistency is one thing. Okay, I get it. And I mean, at this point, it's a massive aberration for Arsenal, who, can, uh, all joking aside, usually is good. And have the players to do that. But 
this consistent when we just look at matches, does consistency matter in big moments? Because in a sense, he has then been consistent, has he not? Consistently, they've needed somebody to score in big matches, and he's come through. It's going to how many goals he's got for yeah. Arsenal this season. You know, it's so it, it depends, I guess, on what spectrum you're looking at this. Because it, it can, depending on how you look at it, it could be a completely iniquitous statement, or it can be, it can be very true. But look I'm at the goals. He's consistent in big, in big moments. He's got nine goals this season across all competitions. Uh, but Gabriel Martinelli has outscored him. Well, I mean, he comes off. The, he's coming off the bench because Mikel Arteta is a come mierda. He's a he's a dumbass. He's, he's playing. <laughs> he's playing behind Obama, and he was a, a natural born goal scorer. It's hard to replace somebody like that, even if Lacazette is the same type of player. Just like like Dave said, he's not selfish. That's the only difference there. Thing. What I will say, though, is uh, Lacazette has played a thousand less minutes than Aubameyang. The so, legs are fresh, so that's good. Yeah. But do you I'm think he gets in the France squad? Yes. The thing at Arsenal, too, it's a system thing, isn't it? Because we saw, uh, what's his face? He's completely relevant. That's probably why I can't remember his name. The guy that was there before, Arteta, did not oh, know oh, how to manage the tool. Thank you, Emery. Thanks, Alex, because I completely had a brain fart. <laughs> <laughs> He's not um, worth remembering. Yeah. We can, um, it can, that can be too, that can be debated because that can be a system thing. If you're smart enough, you learn as a manager, and I'm going to say this from experience, from, from an amateur standpoint, before people start saying that I know nothing because I do this from an amateur standpoint. As a manager, you got to understand who you have on the pitch, right? So wouldn't it make sense to try to put them in a system together so that they can work off of each other? Because they do have a great relationship on the pitch. But at, at what should. point does that become an issue if Obama Yang wants to be a selfish little prick? Well, the thing with Obama is under Emery, he was deployed as a left wing or left mid at times, and Lacazette was the main striker. So, and like I said, I do agree Lacazette's a quality player. I just think that he does need to add more goals. But he has scored some big goals, without a doubt, but... To get the best out of him, I think he needs to play with Aubameyang. Exactly. And that, that would work systemically if you can figure out how to, how to get them. They both need to play up front. It doesn't take a, a rocket scientist with a damn PhD oh. to figure that one out. Well, to your point, with his unselfishness, I think he'd be a good center forward directly behind him. That's, the way that Griezmann plays off Giroud for France. Yes. Look at us. We're, we're, we're just, we're, we're all going to be on somebody's show one day. You, know, you get on this podcast, everybody listening, you get, you get some damn good analysis. Do you think Lacazette will make the Euro score with the current options they have? Yes. No, because Deshaun is dumb. Well, rephrase that. I think he should. Doesn't mean necessarily mean he will. Yeah, Who would you I, take I, out for him? Because obviously, Giroud? at the World Cup, Take Giroud out for him. I'd take Giroud out no. for him, yeah. I would. I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't. They, I, their I'd like offense, to be the one. I would. Their, off their offense thrives around a center forward who holds up play, and that's what Giroud does. Yeah, but if you plug in, if you plug in, oh, I think they become more dynamic, though, if you plug in Lacazette there, because now you got three guys up front that can interchange movements and link up play. Yeah, but with Mbappe, Griezmann, and Giroud, you don't need Lacazette. No. Yeah, but Giroud isn't exactly as mobile as a Lacazette. No, but so he's also getting these guys in position. They don't need them to be. Backs. 
Because if I'm a center back and I know Olivier is just going to hold the play and kind of stand there and he's not mobile at all, you get a really good, decent physical center back, that becomes null and void with trying to hold the play if people are on the same page. It's a lot harder to defend movement than it is to defend a single player. But what France have is Mbappe, so they can't play through Giroud, they play through Mbappe's speed. And Giroud, yeah. I think he has, he might not be the most mobile, but he has good movement and knows where to be at the right time. That's why he gets so that, many goals. That can be developed with Lacazette. You bring a whole different That's... dimension. Giroud's also, also by they... the way, on the wrong side of 30. Welcome to the club, Olivier. That's but also why, why, would keep... you, why, break, why change what isn't broken? They won the World Cup with Giroud. Why would they go and change that now? They also won the World Cup in 1998 when they didn't have a fucking striker. That's how they play. <laughs> they, don't, they don't need one. I mean, if it wasn't for Zinedine Zidane, if we're going to go down that route, France wouldn't have won shit, honestly. <laughs> we could have this debate all day. <laughs> it's a good debate. To, it's a healthy debate to have. We don't, we don't argue on this podcast, people. We have healthy debates. <laughs> Educational debates. That you will benefit from. We, I guarantee you listening to this podcast will increase your football IQ by 90%. <laughs> yeah. Guaranteed. I'd take Giroud over Lacazette for France. You know, if I had my way, I'd be the manager of France, but that's either here nor there. Uh, moving on to manager of the year. I think we've all chosen the same guy in Chris Wilder. Yep. Yes. Obvious choice. I'd like to give a special mention to Jurgen Klopp for obvious reasons. Frank Lampard for the work he's done with the Chelsea team on no budget. And Nuno Santos for how good his Wolfside are. I'll give a special mention to... Um... To Hasenhutl. Mm-hmm. Now, I'll give a special mention to, to, to Mr. Hasenhutl. He took Southampton from an abysmal position at the beginning of the season where we were all damn near convinced they were going to be relegated and it somehow steered that, steered that ship in the right direction. They may pretty much be safe at this point. There's seven points clear at the relegation zone. Ah, Ralph, you're good, bro. <laughs> Just it's I have to give him some mention because it's it is amazing. There were talks of there were talks of him for fuck's sake being sacked at one point because they, were, they were, were where they were at. What I will say is they do have the third joint worst defense in the Premier League if we're conceding fifty-two goals. So mm. I need to work that out. Hey, as long as they survive, they can have the money to work that out. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, they just need to partner somebody with uh, Vestergaard because he's just you know six foot seven, towering. They need somebody quick next to us. That'd be a it's, good partnership. It is amazing what some of the managers around the Premier League have done, but Chris Wilder, people. boy, I think he was a boyhood supporter of the club. Like That's his boyhood club. They've only conceded 25 goals this season. That can only be bettered by Liverpool. Well, I mean, Liverpool, what they're doing is... Sadly, we haven't seen it. But on the bright side, we said that when Manchester City were going on this run and then Liverpool outdid them. So, you know, it's that usual circle that we go through in sports. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They'll get figured out and then somebody will invent something and then we'll all sit here ranting and raving. And so I don't I don't pay much attention to that. I just Dean Wilder, he deserves it. He bloodied. He's not going to get it, which pisses me off. Yeah. Klopp's going to get it. Of course. For what? Ready made ready made squad. He didn't have that much to do when he got there. They didn't sign anybody this season either, did they? Liverpool, no. apart from Van der Berg and Mina Mina in January, who's done nothing. <laughs> nothing. I'm, problem was solved at Liverpool the minute that they told Carriers to go somewhere that wasn't in the immediate vicinity of Liverpool, and they signed Virgil Van Dijk. 
Well, that's it. I mean, we all love attacking fluid football, but I mean, and Ash, you've said it a thousand times, in order to win, you kind of have to be able to not concede. And they're really good at that with Van Dyke being the linchpin of that defense and having uh, Allison Becker back there. But with Sheffield United, their system, they play three at the back all season with overlapping centre-backs when yes. they're in attack. Yes. And it's worked perfectly because they've stuck to it. And you can see they've <laughs> trained hard for that. And it's just I, fantastic to see. I love that. They have like four or five centre-backs with about the same level, so it's easier to rotate them in and out. O'Connell's fucking phenomenal. That left foot he's got. It's just, I just want to give a shout-out to all the Sheffield United supporters out there. Enjoy this shit. Yeah, just they enjoy it. it. It's it. You deserve it. Enjoy it. Because yes. uh, Ash yeah. brought some. Flash has brought it up before on a prior podcast where you see some of these teams win the championship and get promoted. They are complete and utter shit when they get to the Premier League and they're right back down at the championship. Fulham spent all that money last season. They're back in the championship where they belong. Norwich won the championship. They are. They're. I'm pretty sure they're going to be relegated. and They're going to go back down when this resumes. And we can yeah, keep six points from the safety. exception of Wolves, because Wolves, that was... Wolves uh, got promoted, spent a little bit of money, and they did what they do. But, I mean, everything has an exception. But for the most part, Ash is correct that we have seen that trend where some clubs, they get promoted, they spend money, and then nada, like the hair on my head. Nothing. Villa's an example they're of that. They're with you, Ball, win, people. <laughs> That's not my line, but... I want to thank Men and Blazers Bold to do win on this podcast. <laughs> I'm not there yet. <laughs> Get uh, you there, sir. Enjoy it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah Aston Villa are okay. So I don't know. They spent so much money on so many different players, and they're sitting 19th in the table. So mm-hmm. I you think know what Wolves you do have, have though, Ash, is you have that awesome accent that everybody enjoys listening to. <laughs> yes. Everybody digs the accent, Ash. I remember when I was in New York, I got so many questions oh, from Americans. Sorry. <laughs> but, um, yeah, Chris Wilder is definitely manager of the year for all three of us, I think, without a doubt. He is. Um, just a quick note on the epidemic in the world. I'm going to depress anybody at the end of the podcast. I will say this. Maurizio Sarri did get um, diagnosed with it. So want to send best wishes out to Maurizio Sarri that he gets better and recovers from it. Um. A lot of people, I know I give him a lot of shit, but people don't understand. That's as a manager. He's still at the end of the day as a human being, and I hope he does get better. On a lighter note, everybody out there, um, the usual business is we pay bills at the end of the podcast. If you want to reach us on Twitter, our handle's at onthepitchpod1. That's the number one. At uh, twitter.com. You can also reach us via email at onthepitchpod at outlook.com. If you also feel adventurous and you want to actually interact on another level, you can also find us on Facebook at our On The Pitch Pod page. And, well, I shouldn't have to explain that. Just type it in the fucking search bar and you'll find us. (laughs) (laughs) And there you go. Other than that, on behalf of the two wonderful gentlemen that have been a part of this podcast, on behalf of Ash and on behalf of Alex, wherever you are in this world, be safe and we wish you a good morning, a good afternoon, and a good night. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll talk to you next time.